The feelings and words of the ancient Israelites in exile can easily become our own words of hopelessness and inward-looking angst. God shocked Ezekiel and his people of old with this image of an army of Israelites resurrected from the bones of that valley. He comes to us as well with the same spirit whom Ezekiel called and the same strong words of redemption and life. Hi, this is Pastor John Edding. In today's sermon from Ezekiel 37, I refer to a painting by Edward Munch called By the Deathbed. The link to this painting can be found in the sermon show notes. Thank you for listening to the Sandhills Lutheran Ministry Podcast. Let's get to today's sermon entitled, He Puts His Spirit Within Us. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we go. As we come to this uh, text, let us pray. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore unto your people the joy of your salvation, and uphold us with your free spirit. Through Jesus our Lord. Amen. When I ask you to take out uh, that insert found in your bulletin of the image, uh, it's a painting. It's called By the Deathbed. It's a painting done by, uh, or done in the Expressionism style by Edward Munch in the year 1893. Now, this painting depicts the characters uh, kind of in a very distinct in a shadowy state of bereavement. This work currently resides in the uh, Munch uh, Museum uh, located in Oslo, Norway. Uh, In addition to his most well-known image, The Scream, you probably heard of that painting, The Scream, uh, the Norwegian painter Edward Munch created a great deal of art, pondering life and death. Tuberculosis was among the frightening illnesses of the age. Most people were affected uh, by this disease in one way or or other. Now, Munch experienced the disease twice among his close, those closest to him, uh, including his mother and also his sister. And then on one, one occasion, he too was struck down by it. So the inspiration for the painting by the deathbed was the death of his sister, Johann Sophie from tuberculosis in 18. 18- 77. She was 15 years old. And through this painting and many others like it, he expressed his own grief and experiences with death and the end of life as well as that of mankind as a whole. Now this painting shares the simple moments of paying our last respects to a loved one who has died. I want to first direct your attention to the mourners in this uh, painting by the deathbed. The first thing that we might notice are the mourners. 
Uh, my eye was first drawn to that hollow-eyed figure on the far right, this gaunt woman in the forefront. And maybe this might have been a caregiver whose needs and distresses are often ignored. And next to the gaunt woman mourner is a red-masked man, hand, eyes closed, hands folded in prayer. There are three other more or more figures, including the last one down the line, and her eyes are looking directly outward at us. Each figure has a slightly different reaction. The eyes of the figures are either shut or turned away from looking directly at the, at the deceased. Now, we might connect this morning with one of the mourners in the image from the painting by the deathbed. And like the mourners in the painting, we might shut our eyes or turn away from death. Even viewing this painting is kind of a, it might be hard. You know, what, what a downer, <laughs> Pastor John. <laughs> you bring this painting to us this morning. Um, but we cannot deny the power the power of death over us. And like the painting expresses, death is an event that causes ripples and impacts other living beings. And by the deathbed, we know grief and loss. And although our culture seeks ways to avoid death, uh, we live in what my Oma would, would call this veil of tears. There's no shame in our suffering. There's no shame in our tears by the deathbed. It only means that, you're, that you miss and love your loved one. Staring death in the face at a Christian funeral forces us back to the one who offers any hope that day, Jesus, the resurrection and the life by whom we do indeed come to the Father and life eternal. This sermon is really for the discouraged. And your source of discouragement today does not necessarily have to do with death, as the painting and as our readings for today suggest. You probably have some reason to be unhappy or miserable, which human life does not. Ill health, poverty, addiction, exhaustion from being a caregiver, loneliness, uh, tension in the family, politics, or something else will be your source of frustration and pain. Where do you struggle with hope? What would you point to? Uh, the economic situation, everything seems so volatile. The current vibe is of tumult. The feeling seems to be that we're on the edge of a disaster. How about spiritual? Hope can fail and turn to dis discouragement. We, we can feel like God does not love us. We can despair of his love if we focus only on our problems and thereby you know, drown out his promises. We can feel like whatever we do, it does not make a real difference. So, if we're feeling that way, where do we turn to for hope? Well, I want to direct your attention to, again, the painting and the second aspect. Though our eye might be drawn to the mourners, the other aspect of this painting is the deathbed. 
and the body on the deathbed. The prone figure covered in the white sheet that just radiates helplessness. Ezekiel seemed to be given an impossible task. His audience felt like they were the deceased one on their deathbed. And his job was to preach to them, to bring a message of hope to them. And they were not identifying that day as mourners, but as the one lying there helpless on their deathbed. In fact, God's, uh, in fact, even worse, they felt like bones, dead, dry bones. God's people in exile struggled to hope. And talking to them did not seem like it would work. Ezekiel and his people were feeling the weight of God's judgment upon them. Their nation was crushed. The corpses of their elders and children had been heaped up outside the city walls when the Babylonians had conquered the city. Just read Psalm 137. They felt like a pile of dead bones themselves, dried, dried up and cut off. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. And they were miserable. Now, once that final destruction of Jerusalem happened, Ezekiel became a prophet of hope. Here in chapter 37, he is tackling the disappointment and the disillusionment of the people head on. And Ezekiel calls them to a new hope, a hope in God. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord, when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is good news, this message of hope, the message that God's people, even though they are in judgment, even though they are feeling cut off, they are still his people. Verse 13, I will raise you from your graves, O my people. They remain his people. The covenant had not been broken. Indeed, the old covenant was still in force. The exile was simply the covenant in action. God would restore the fortunes of his people, no matter how difficult it looked. But God And God raised up Cyrus to let the people go home. You can read about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And he raised an Esther to save them from Haman's genocide. He raised up Nehemiah to rebuild the city walls. And then the Messiah came. And Jesus healed the sick. He opened the eyes of the blind. He fed the hungry. He raised the dead. God's blessings and spirit are not only for that great and glorious day, but they are for, for you and me right now. To give people hope. 
Jesus can relate with both the mourner and the deceased in this painting. Jesus wept by the deathbed of Lazarus, and then he raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus also became a corpse, and he was laid on his deathbed, his tomb. But Paul tells us in our epistle reading that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. It was his mission. Why did he come to suffer and die and be raised again? What was his mission? His mission to do what? His mission to destroy death by his death and to give his people life and a living hope. Peter talks about this too in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 13. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so now we we will look at that wonderful promise that God gives to us in our reading for today, that he puts his spirit within us. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. This is God's promise to you in the midst of your discouragement or perhaps disappointment or disillusionment. The promise that he puts his spirit within us and that we live is really Ezekiel foresees that in the messianic age of Jesus, the spirit will raise up the New Testament church from the dry bones and the ashes of Israel. And in that day, the spirit will change people's hearts, put a new spirit within them, cleanse them from their sins and cause them to live. Holy Spirit is the giver of spiritual life. Speaking to Nicodemus, Jesus declared that one can become a member of the new kingdom only through spiritual rebirth, which is the work of the Holy Spirit by water and the word. And as we confessed earlier, in the small catechism reading on baptism, along with God's word, baptism is a life-giving water, rich in grace and a washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He saved us, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, verse 5. God has placed his spirit in us, and we live. The spirit dwells in us. And in our epistle reading, Romans 8, verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And that life is is the promise. And that promise is not only for the last day, but it's for the now, for the life, our life now. And we need that sure hope that blessed hope based on Jesus' resurrection, and his resurrection is everything. Now, while people watch college uh, basketball teams play in this year's March Madness Tournament, there is another sports competition that just concluded, the NCAA wrestling competition. Penn State wrestler Aaron Brooks, who recently won his third, third consecutive NCAA title in the the 184-pound division, found himself at the center of controversy following a profession of faith and post-competition interview with ESPN. Let's say he he got some of the uh, 
commentators riled up. But it really boils down to this, this quote. Aaron Brooks confessed during the interview that Christ's resurrection is everything. And here's more of, of the quote from that interview. It's everything. Christ's resurrection is everything, not just his life, but his death and resurrection. You can only get that through him and the Holy Spirit only through him. And of course, it was his confession that there's only one way to eternal life, only through Jesus Christ. It's that part that got him into trouble. But the quote continues. In fact, when asked how he stays on top, Brooks responded, it's all for the glory of God, you know. Back when I just worshipped wrestling, I burned out. But now I'm doing it for him. I don't do it to get the trophy in these things. Like I said, it's to preach to people. And he continued, so that's what motivates me, and that's what's on my mind the whole time, because everything else comes and goes. People are winning and losing. It's all vanity, you know. Once this is over, we're talk they're talking about what's going on next year. It's just how the world works. And when I am out there, I said, what lives can I change with the Holy Spirit in me? Because that goes for eternity. He puts his spirit in us and we live. And we live for others with that living hope, the spirit placed in us. As we return back to this image, Christ's resurrection is everything. And now in this Fifth Sunday in Lent, that's what I call March gladness. Away with madness, away with sadness, Christ has final victory over death. And whether we connect this morning more with the mourners in the painting who know the pain of loss, or whether we connect more like God's people did in the Babylonian exile with the one in the deathbed, either way, either way, our hope is not cut off. Christ's resurrection is everything. We have hope. Jesus will wipe away our tears. So we have hope, a living hope, and a hope that does not disappoint us. We can mourn, but not without hope like others. And we can hope because God has placed his spirit in us and you and I shall live both now and forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.